Oh, goodness gracious me. Recording in progress. Recording in progress. All right, everybody. Uh, so uh, welcome to Verna. Uh, this is, for those of you who don't know, what we've been doing, uh, I think all of you know this, but I'm just going to say because it is also being recorded. Uh, since we actually started right back at the beginning of the term, we asked you guys questions. Um, that you, well, we asked you to tell us what you thought was burning up people in Midrand, the teenagers in Midrand specifically. Um, and I want to say you guys asked some pretty awesome questions. Um, I mean, I know that technically, if you're running something like this, generally that's what everybody says just to make people feel good. No, you guys actually asked some really awesome questions. And it was really great because for us who are not teenagers, uh, for us to kind of know, to learn what your world is like, is really helpful um, because it makes us better youth leaders. So, like, round of applause to you guys. So, what we've done is uh, we've categorized uh, the questions. Um, and we've, we originally wanted to do it in a way where we were going to have electives. So there would be four electives that you would attend. So, so we, we basically put four circles in this room and then you could choose which category you wanted to go to. Uh, and then you would go to that category and then you would spend the morning there and hear the questions being answered and also have a time for you to answer it, to, to ask questions as well. But because COVID has really swung in our face, we had to have a bigger technology element, um, and that's just a bit complicated to give every single elective a, a laptop or a device to join us. It just it gets complicated technology-wise. And you guys know whenever we try to do too much stuff with technology at Christchurch, for some reason everything goes wrong. <laughs> so we've simplified it a little bit, um, but but we still want you guys who are online. If you hear any, uh, if you have any problems that you can't hear, please just message. Uh, I'll, I'll continually take the laptop as well. But what we're going to do rather is um, is we're going to have a panel, and each person in the panel is going to get an opportunity to answer one of their questions. Um, so, for example, so what I'll say is I'll say my category that I'm answering for. So I'll give a category which would have been my elective. Then I'm going to ask one of the questions that is in my elective, and I'm going to give you my answer. Then what we're going to do is, once I've answered, we're going to open it up to the panel to kind of add or suggest further answers. What we've done is we've given you, did we give guys each a pen and a paste? So there's a pen. Are we using the back of the notice? Yeah, can you spray? Yeah, we can use the back of the notices. So okay, yeah, but, no, but the pens are sprayed. So, everyone can so, so if you guys, while we're answering, write down your questions that you have. And then at the end, we'll give us a few minutes to ask to answer some of your questions all right so we're going to do it that way because if we if i answer a question and then give it straight back to you guys to ask more we may not get to any other questions today <laughs> so we want to try get through as many questions as we can that's the goal all right so gee i messaged keenan and um michaela to message me on the group if i need to move the camera for sound so you don't have to pay attention uh, okay Okay, well, I'm still going to look at it anyway okay, right cool. now then because I, I can't. So, okay, but, cool. but it is a wise idea to have that as well, okay. uh, just in case. Okay, 
Uh, all right, so I think since we know what's going on, even if you don't know what's going on, that's okay. You can find out as we go along. <laughs> uh, so our panel consists of me. It consists of this guy, Paul Antini. Um, Paul Antini hails from uh, South Australia. What? <laughs> so Paul, because of the new puppy acts, we are not allowed to disclose much information. Outside. So, so we're just making it up as we go along. <laughs> So Paul Antini hails from South Australia. Um, so if you're wondering how a South Australian became as dark as he is, it's just because he spent too much time in the sun. His accent is also not Australian. We don't, we can't answer that. But um, Paul, so, so uh, Paul enjoys, uh, although he's living in South Australia, he enjoys going to Spanish dance clubs. <laughs> you like to party party. <laughs> uh, where he shreds up the dance floor with his Spanish dancing. Uh, we, we also have Lauren Matt. You can join them, Lars. Uh, she can. Um, <laughs> Lauren Max uh, has uh, been living in Egypt for most of her life. She's flown down here to get away from her really dodgy, horrible husband. Um, who, who we won't mention his name, but he's a real tool bag. Uh, like him. It's me, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, she uh, enjoys. Um, what does she enjoy? Anyone want to mention what Lauren? Enjoys? What does Lauren enjoy, guys? Quickly, quick. Anything. Great. Baseball. baseball. She enjoys baseball. Um, <laughs> and yes. She enjoys baseball. And then the last person, uh, he, he, he is actually here. Um, it's not just he's so white that he's become translucent. Um, he's just playing music right now. So we put him at the end. So he will come and join us when he's finished singing. But that is Jared Vestere. Uh And Jared enjoys uh, eating Chinese food uh, in the back of uh, alleys. Um, where okay. you can enjoy being his uh, introverted self. All right, there we go. Yeah, and also Jared's looking good today, guys. You should be excited. Eh? He put on a nice little bit of a coat for us today. Yeah, he's, he's put on his stretch coat. Yep. Okay. All okay. Right. Cool. Let's do this. So we'll start with we'll start with me, and we'll go that way. Um, so the category that and I forgot my category. Uh, the category that I'm uh, basically doing is. My category is sort of questions on how God leads the world, okay? Uh, and uh, so my first question is, why does God allow suffering? And why are people suffering on evil? I think a wise idea, let's, let's pray first before answering these questions. So let me pray. Father, we just thank you so much for today. Uh, we thank you that you, we thank you that you are a God who, it's not irrational to believe in um, that though there's lots of stuff we will never understand about you because you're too big to fit in our minds. We're so thankful for that. Um, that we nonetheless know that Christianity uh, is a religion. Uh, well, it's more than a religion. It's a belief system that makes sense. Um, and so we just pray, Lord, that your, your spirit will help us all to answer and that perhaps those who are skeptical about Christianity skeptical about you uh, may think more deeply about you uh, and 
perhaps have a lot of skepticism on Okay, so here's the question is, my first question is, why does God allow suffering? Uh, and why are people suffering not all equal? Because sometimes it can appear that certain people seem to be suffering more than others. Okay, so let me, let me answer the question. Uh, I've only got about five minutes to answer, so let's hope I answer it fast enough. Okay, so suffering was never actually a part of the way God made the world. So if we read in Genesis 1 and 2, it shows us a world where there was a paradise. And it was a paradise because God's people followed God's leadership. So you guys know the story. It's a story of Adam and Eve. God speaks the world into being. And when he uh, finally creates Adam and Eve, uh, he gives them dominion over the, the animals. Uh, and there's no sin that's in the world just yet. And, but then you get this thing where Genesis 3 hits and Adam and Eve suddenly don't want to follow a good God. So what happens when people don't want to follow a good God, when they don't want him to be the leader? Well, good God says, fine, you can have your choice. And so he takes a step back. So when a good God takes a step back, when he allows humanity to have their choice, what fills the void? Well, it's the opposite of good. Evil fills the void. Suffering fills the void. So because God gave Adam and Eve over to their choice, suffering entered the world. Tsunamis, earthquakes, wars, lying, cheating, stealing, etc. are all there because God gave Adam and Eve a choice. They chose not to follow him. And God did the right thing. He didn't force Adam and Eve to be in a relationship with him. He said that they could choose to live without him. But then they have that choice. They've got to face the consequences. So thankfully, he took only a small step back. Had he completely walked away, there would be nothing good. There would be no love, no friendship, no happiness. That's exactly what hell is. Hell is a place where there's absolutely no presence of God. And when there's no presence of God at all, then picture the most depressed person in the world. Multiply that by 100. Because there literally is nothing good left. So people today still prefer to actually live without God. Look at the world. They hate God. He's too strict. Restricts freedom. His word is outdated. He doesn't get with the modern times. To be honest, people prefer it when they lead their own worlds. I'm my own boss. You can't tell me what to do. I make my own destiny. These are some things we've all heard, right? I choose my own gender, my own sexual identity, etc. We all say we are our own boss. That even and, and, and even when we hear the gospel, we say, I don't want it because it means that I have to change my life for him. We say things like, I'll only become a Christian if it suits me. Or we'll say, I, I'm not the religious type. What that means is you, you've read what, what, what is required of you by God, but you reject his leadership. And so what, what do you end up turning to? Well, if you reject his leadership, 
you're really just turning to your own leadership. So you prefer to be your own God. God says, okay, I'll let you live in a world without me. Because that's your choice. It's what you want. And we think it's the better life, but it's not the paradise that we actually see with Adam and Eve, is it? So why does God allow suffering? The answer is because we choose it. We want a life without a good God. The question is, has God done something about suffering? Yes, he has. He hasn't just stepped back and said, okay, you often, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't, sorry, he doesn't just step back into our world and, and say, okay, I'm stepping back right now completely, you're all forgiven. Um, he hasn't done this because he doesn't force himself on us. And we don't want him to do that. We would prefer a God that doesn't force us to follow him, but still gives us choice. But the second thing is it would be unjust. The Bible tells us that turning our backs on the Lord is actually a serious offense. It's a serious crime. And so it would be, be wrong for him to just say, okay, you're forgiven without punishing the crime. Just like it would be wrong to say to a rapist, you are just forgiven without punishing the crime. We wouldn't want that. We do want justice, right? And dying on the cross, Jesus takes on our punishment on himself. And in doing that, this gives us a new choice. We have the choice to follow Jesus. And if we do, he enters our lives and makes them slowly better till the one day we're with him in the new paradise, which he allows us to have because we trust in him. So that's the answer. So the, the last quick little thing that I want to say is, the person also mentioned in their question, they said, why is our suffering all unequal? Why do some people suffer more than others? Well, to be honest, there are multiple reasons for that. Um, and we can't tell why it is for every single person. Because God has multiple purposes for multiple different people. So God might use his suffering. To, so God always uses his suffering to draw his people closer to him. But it may just be that that specific person needs a little bit more effort. God uses suffering to punish sin and evil. So some people might endure more suffering because he's using it to punish. We can't, we can't tell every individual situation. Oh, there we go. Um, but something that... God can also use his suffering for, which is just an interesting one, is he can use his suffering to actually groom his people. There was a, and I just want to quickly finish off with this story really quickly. I read a book about a guy. Uh, it was a biography. And this dude uh, was basically abused his whole life by his dad. Uh, and his, he grew up with guns in his household and his dad was shooting guns all the time. And at one point, his dad actually shot him. Um, he didn't die, but his dad shot him. Okay, most hectic story you've ever heard. Like when you read the pages, I don't want to say it out here because it's some really hectic stuff you read in this book. But at the end of the book, this guy gets converted and becomes a missionary and goes to a war-torn town. Uh, and his mission agency calls all the people who they've sent on mission to this town to come back because they're in a war-torn town and they're worried for the safety of the missionaries and they're also worried for the mental well-being. But this guy is like, um, I'm actually okay with this. I grew up with this. 
This, this isn't new to me. And through, through that, he's the only missionary who stays while everybody else goes back. And because of him, hundreds and hundreds of people become Christians. Now you think, that's actually quite amazing. God actually groomed him to do something so incredible that his life had so much purpose in him. So, yes, some people do have suffering that can be un unequal, but it is good that can ultimately come out of it. I finished answering and I spent seven minutes. <laughs> I was like, I feel but, like we hit that five minute mark already. But <laughs> so, so does the rest of the panel, do you guys want to add anything or say anything? Uh, I wanted to say when the funny thing about suffering when you're Christian is that your suffering is never just for you. Because when you're suddenly in a whole new pool. So think about like this guy creates a pool that's a big gold uh, bowl of water. Have you ever done this when you drop food coloring in? Yeah. And it just goes everywhere. You can't, once that food coloring is in, you don't get a cup that has no food coloring in. Some might be more concentrated because of where the drop went in. But that's the world we live in now. Suffering has affected everything because brokenness affects everything. But what God does when you come into a new community, he doesn't take you out there, but he puts you into a new, um, he brings all of you together. He goes, I know that this blue food coloring has affected everything, but it's now for each of you. So the suffering that Paul had could be massively intense, but God chooses for him to do it with us, which means suddenly we, we stand on either side of him, we carry the burdens, we, we worship through it. And then his suffering grows me. Why is that right or fair? And, and yet our friendship should make that suffering lighter. So suffering then becomes doubly purposed instead of just for one person. Yeah. But actually, that's a good point. What Lauren is saying, I just want to quickly add maybe one last thing before we move on is if you are a Christian, I think what Christians tend to do is when their suffering gets really intense, they tend to shout out to the Lord saying, God, why? You've all heard that, right? Um, but often what Christians tend to do is we forget that when we save, we're not just saved into an individual relationship with God, we're saved into a community. Right? And if you're not actually part of a Christian community, you're half, then, then what you're doing is you're being half a Christian and you can't be some half of a Christian. You just die. You can't be half a person. Um, and so what happens is people, they shout out to God. They go, God, why aren't you speaking to me? And God's like, well, I have a whole Christian community of people who have likely probably gone through either the same thing or something similar. Um, but you're ignoring that. Um, and, uh, and if you look through the Bible, one of the ways God communicates with us is through his people at church. As, as the church is, is soaked in the Bible, God's people then can communicate truth to you. And it's not just through the pastor, it's through everybody. Um, and so when somebody, when you come to church, you probably find someone's gone through something similar to you. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to add that answer there. So if you are a Christian and you're thinking, you, you know, I'm alone in this battle, come and speak, come to church, come and share with us. And you'll probably find your, your, your the weight that you carry and I just want to add this way I say sometimes it depends on, on how you look at suffering. You have to look at suffering in terms of in the basis of, of the Bible. If they are saying you are saved into, into a community. So is that how are you going to respond to that suffering? Are you going to let Christians around you and comfort you and, and pray with you? And we have so many people who suffered in the Example of, of, of job. Sometimes he didn't know what was going on, but God knew what he was he was doing. He 
was was growing, his faith was being tested, and he grew from that. And after he suffered his relationship with God, was even much, much better. And uh, as well, sometimes we suffer because of our own doing, like we, because they, they are consequences to, to our sin and things that we do. So if you steal and if you go do all kinds of things, like let's say I steal, of course I might be forgiven uh, by God and people around me, but they won't be able to stop the consequences, maybe they're going to, to jail. I have to, to suffer for, for that everyone said. So sometimes you have to look at it uh, in the terms of how um, God sees uh, suffering. And you are saved in trade communities, they are saying, come, be with Christians, talk about it, pray, and don't just suffer in All right, so we're going to move on to the next question because of time. Uh, so, Paul and Tini, <laughs> yes, take it away, brother. All right, so uh, the question that I have, like, um, how do Christians, uh, it's, uh, in terms of Christian life, how do Christians deal with their past and forgive themselves and others? How do Christians deal with their past and forgive themselves and, uh, and, and others? So, I I think this question it has to do with, um, with forgiveness. So, actually, when you look at the Bible, when it talks about uh, forgiveness and when it talks about sin, it has to do with sin and things that we we, um, we do. Um, first of all, when we sin, we are not sinning against not only people. We are sinning against God, for because God is the one who sets the standard, He's the Creator. Is the one who set uh, uh, the morals and how we are supposed to conduct ourselves because he's the creator, so he gets to set the rules. He's the king. So when we sin, we are sinning against God. And who do we need forgiveness from? We need forgiveness from, uh, from, from God, not just from others or from ourselves, like I need to forgive myself. No, 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 that is just, I think, like from scripture, we need forgiveness from him. From God. God is the one who's what who can uh, who can forgive us because He's the one ultimately who we sin against. Just like when uh, when David, if you look at the King David when he sinned in Scripture, he went to God. He was crying. He was like, "Only you and only against you I have sinned." He had done something. He had taken someone else's wife and he had made that that man. And he had done all kinds of things. And when he was, it was brought to his attention, his sin was laid bare before him. He realized he did not only sin against that man, against that woman, against himself, but he had ultimately sinned um, against God. So how do you deal with, uh, with that? How do you deal with your, your past? You bring it before God. God is the one who gets to, uh, who gets to deal with it because there is nothing there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that I can do to undo what I did yesterday because it has already passed. But I need God to do that. Ultimately, if I sinned against God yesterday, it means I sinned against Him. I need Him to do that. And what has God done uh, to, to forgive me? He has brought Christ into the picture. That is why, as Christians, we always talk about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, because ultimately, he is the one who can take away our sins from us. I cannot do it. It is impossible. I cannot do it. And even in Psalm 103, we are encouraged that 
uh, God has taken our sins far as, uh, as far as the east is from, is from the west. So I think as well that question is more about, okay, am I really forgiven by God? Yes, if God has declared to you that you are forgiven, you are forgiven. And in Christ, you are forgiven. He has taken those sins. Think of how east is far from the west. That's how God has taken away your, your sins. No matter how horrible and atrocious you have been or trash or how, however how you feel, is that God he has forgiven you. And you didn't end that. There's nothing that you have, I, I have done or that you have done. But Christ has done that for you and God has taken that away from you. We are given pictures like uh, we are washed in the, in, in the blood of the Lamb. Like think of being washed, like when something is dirty and then it is washed. God is the one who gets to, who gets to do that. All you have to do is you have to accept it. This is my past. This is what I have done. But this is who am I now in who in Christ. You know, I am I'm forgiven now. I'm part of God's kingdom. I'm, I'm his son. I'm his, I'm his daughter. And now you live as a forgiven uh, as a forgiven person because there's nothing that I, uh, that you can do. Now you are a new creature. Now you try and live uh, that life. And you cannot do that on your own as well. You need uh, uh, the Holy Spirit to, to, to help you with that. And if God has forgiven you, he has forgiven you. And also, we are commanded again uh, that we need to forgive others. If God has forgiven us of all the sins that we, going, that we did yesterday, that we're going to do today, that we're going to do in the future, how much more are we supposed to forgive others who do us wrong all the time? Because we do wrong all the time. And if we are Christians and we truly know, truly, truly know forgiveness and what Christ has done, we will forgive people as well. We will let it be. I'm not saying we're going to forget things and things that have happened or what we have done. No, it's probably inhuman. Like it's hard to forget some of the things, but we forgive. We accept and say, oh, I, I forgive you. Look at what Christ has done for, for me. And even in the parables, we, we hear that uh, those who are forgiven much more, they realize and they even forgive you much more as well. So we have to uh, we have to for, uh, forgive others. And also we have to forgive because Jesus is the king. He commands us to do so. So if we claim that he's our king and that we love him, then we have to uh, we have to we have to forgive as well. Let me just check if I answered it uh, correctly. And forgive themselves. Well forgiving yourself, how do you forgive yourself? I <laughs> It is difficult because you are not only sinning against yourself, ultimately you are sinning against uh, God. So if God has forgiven you and you are not letting it go, and ultimately you are saying to God, what you have done is not enough. What you are saying, no, 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 I need to find something to do. I need to do something myself. And we can't do that. We cannot do that. It doesn't even make sense if you think about it, that I have to forgive myself. No, if I'm forgiven by God, then I don't really need to forgive myself. I need to let it go because ultimately the creator, the one whom I sinned against, is, uh, is forgiven me. And that is wonderful news. That is, uh, that is great news. You should rejoice in that. And I think sometimes as Christians, we don't find joy in that, that we are actually forgiven. 
everything that we have done, Christ is taking it upon himself. He truly suffered on the cross. He lived the perfect life. He suffered. He was forsaken by his friends. All kinds of things happened to him. And all our sins were put on him. It was not for him. It was for, for, for us so that we can be forgiven and to have that relationship with God. We should enjoy that. We should celebrate that. We should find joy in that. We should immerse ourselves in scripture. And even if it comes to our mind and it's all kinds of things, ah, remember what you did there. No, remember, I'm forgiven in Christ. Christ has taken that on my behalf, and that is something that we should have and, uh, and, find, and find joy in and, and pray in and, and praise God for. Amen, Paul. So uh, let, me, let me just add something to that, that. I think sometimes forgiveness is a, giving yourself can be really, really difficult. I think specifically for your generation here where you guys, uh, there's like a lot of emotions um, that, that, I, that I see when I look at this generation. Um, and uh, I mean, so what Paul has been saying is like Christ looking to Jesus is where you, where you see, where you can gain your forgiveness from. And so, so if you, Jesus said something really helpful. He said, cast your burdens onto me and I will give you rest. Because that's the goal we want, right? When we, what we're ultimately wanting, the reason we're asking for forgiveness and trying to forgive ourselves is because we just want rest. We just want, we just want this burden to go. And Jesus is saying, you can come to me and cast your burdens. So even after listening to Paul, if you're still kind of grappling with this or unsure how to forgive yourself, a good idea is to just pray to the Lord. Just say, Lord, help me. I'm not sure how to forgive myself, but help me. And, and then say to him, Lord, take this burden from me. Even if you don't know how he's going to do it, just ask him. He, will, he listens to prayer. He hears it. Lauren, do you want to okay. pass the baby to me? Oh, oh pass the baby to Tracy. Oh, and Tracy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to say on this um, forgiveness thing, um, for your whole life, you will be training your feelings to match truth. And no emotion is better to you than guilt, right? Because guilt eats you. It's worse than getting sad. Um, but, like, God is very clear. You say sorry to the person. You say sorry to him. And you trust that his forgiveness comes. And you're like, ah, I still feel terrible. And he goes, have you done everything you can do? Have you done everything to make amends to that person? Have you apologized to me? Now you train your feelings. And that sucks. That's hard. I had a weekend where I didn't have a friend. I had a fucking rubbish thing. Like, what do you do? In the middle of the night, I was up, like, what do I do? Maybe I should, like, do this or that. But it, it gets to the point where it's not about what you do. It's about who you Okay, cool. Um, sorry, guys. No, it's cool. <laughs> um, my category is identity and modern culture. So different aspects of identity and modern culture. Um, and we start in with, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Can a Christian be part of the LGBTQI plus community? So that's our question. Um, let me do this. Let me start with the picture the Bible builds as how God created things. And then we'll talk about why it's so hard to match our feelings to, to what God says, because I think when you talk about homosexuality, let, let me just use that term to cover all those things. It's hard for our feelings to match because I think sometimes we go, oh God, it doesn't seem fair. 
a different relationship with parents anyone uh, I feel like the whole world is telling me something different and your way seems very restrictive um, on top of that we're talking about things that perhaps you go but I feel like that I feel like this is my identity I feel like you're denying who I am um, I feel like who I love doesn't matter these are not easy things and we don't expect you to feel fine about these things we expect all of us to just look at what the Bible says and then try to match up with that. Um, so here's what the Bible says. Let's take a few passages. The first one, obviously, is in Genesis, where God creates man and woman. He says, now you together become a new family, and you are a picture of what family and what intimate relationship should look like. Um, Matthew 19, people are then questioning Jesus about divorce, right? And he goes, you know what the Bible says. God created one man and one woman for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be joined as one with his wife. And that's kind of the, the only way God creates intimate relationships to work. One man and one woman for life, right? That is the context God gives for, um, for sex, for family building. That's what he gives. Um, and then in that, remember he's discussing divorce because what, what sin does is it breaks every good thing. And in that context, he goes, that's why we don't get divorced. It's one man, one woman for life. That's why we don't express intimate relationships um, in a homosexual way, which is uh, Romans 1. Paul is listing a whole lot of brokenness in the experience of homosexuality there as one of the many ways we express our brokenness. Not as the worst way, not as the unforgivable way. He goes, here is how intimate relationships work. One man, one woman for life. But we express it in lots of different ways. Divorce for, uh, and the Bible doesn't say never get divorced, but often um, what the Bible does say is don't get divorced for an uh, illegitimate reason. So we, the brokenness we express in, in homosexuality, in betrayal of friendships, in, um, in brokenness through divorce, like all these things are uh, a way that sin breaks the good thing. Think of like a, a model ship. You know, I think some, sometimes we go, God, why do you seem to want to have your hand in everything? If I love someone of the same gender and we don't hurt anyone, why do you want to have your hand in that? But the reason is because God in of himself is deeply relational. It's who he is. The Bible talks about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they express their relationship in their creation of the world, in their saving act. God is relationship. Like, and actually, we are relationship at our core, right? Every part of who we are is in relation to everyone else. You're a daughter, you're a son, you're a friend. Um, that's why nothing messes with you more. I was talking about like letting down a friend. Nothing messes with you more than a relationship, right? You can feel bad about like forgetting to do your homework, but you let a friend down really badly and they don't reply to your messages and you like wonder what you do. That messes with you way more. Why? Because we are relational beings. Because Every relationship mirrors God's perfect relationship with that truth. That's why God wants to have a, a hand in every part of how we express relationship, because it's who he is and it's who he made us to be. That's why I'm going to model ship. I'm sure you know this, you can get these tiny little replicas you build, and they are replicas of big warships that sail or, or big leisure ships. So for example, the Titanic. You can rebuild a tiny little one or one bit. You know that the tiny little one that floats in a bathtub is not the same as the actual Titanic that sailed, but it's a picture of it. That's why God gives us all relationships. Every time a relationship works right, 
when you see a beautiful marriage, when you have a friend who stands by you think it's a, when relationships work the way God intended to, there's no greater comfort, there is no greater joy. And God knows that. He is in perfect relationship in that Trinity, and it is his joy. So that's why relationships should work like that for us. If you take all the bits of that model ship and you stick whatever you want, wherever you want it, it doesn't reflect the thing it's supposed to. So you can go, it doesn't hurt anyone. Does it? What it does, what it should be doing is reflecting that greater perfect relationship with God within himself and God with us. And when you take it and you mix it up, it doesn't just not work well for you. It denies the very thing it's supposed to be at its heart. You can't take something that in its very nature is supposed to be something else, mix it around and go, look, it still works. It doesn't. Because it wasn't what it was designed for. Um, which is why all relationships are deeply unsatisfying unless they have God in them and reflect God's design order in them. Um, so, so, yeah. I understand that things, particularly like homosexuality, identity things feel hard to get our feelings in line with. Because you can watch a TV show, your favorite couple, the one you're rooting for, is a same-sex couple. And you're like, oh, does it hurt anyone? But the problem is exactly what you said here. God's design is to reflect his good character and his good purpose in all relationships. Um, so then we say, what is the purpose in all intimate relationships? One man, one woman for life. So if you're a Christian with same-sex attraction, which, by the way, is not an unforgivable sin, and not particularly rare, rare lots of Christians have that. Um, we said you don't pursue an active same-sex relationship. You can't have sex with someone who's the same gender as you. You can't pursue being in an intimate relationship that mirrors a marriage relationship if you are a Christian because the Bible says that's not what you're designed for. Um, the Bible also says that God hasn't um, sold you short. If now you're like, okay, but I have same-sex attraction, so then I just want to get married. Okay. Lots of Christians have chosen that and they haven't lost out. They've gained in other ways, right? The best sentence floating around lately in my head is, because they're really good at something because Jesus is worth anything you might give up for him you don't lose, you only gain because of who you've given it up for so homosexuality, same-sex attraction it's not the unforgivable sin Christians, lots of Christians we know Christians in our community have that, have that um, some Christians on the public stage so there's someone um, like Jackie Hill Perry or Sam Mulberry they've spoken very openly about it Sam Mulberry is single, Jackie Hill Perry is married with children um, and they have spoken very openly about um, how they've experienced same-sex attraction not unforgivable sin and they haven't lost out because Jesus is worth what you give up for them um, so that is what we're saying to Christians, can you be part of then a uh, LGBTQI plus community. Well, that community is all about your identity being who you're attracted to. And as Christian, you can't be part of that community because you're, as a Christian, your identity and your community is about who you're saved for, saved by. And they just, you can't have your biggest identifier as who you're attracted to when your biggest identifier as a Christian is who has rescued you. And in fact, I mean, the reason the LGBTQI plus community is so strong is because it gives people a sense of belonging. Mm. And we get that. But we also say that people are more than who they're attracted to. Aren't you selling yourself short if you define yourself by that only? And it's funny, if someone tries to do that in a homosexual relationship, we laugh at them. 
you know, in a, sorry, in a heterosexual relationship. So if I come in, I'm like, hi, I'm Gareth's wife. Do you want Gareth for this? Oh, okay, Gareth, what do you, you'd be like, no, aren't you also a creation of God, right? So if we see that in a heterosexual relationship, we're like, come on, that's not the only thing about you. Um, so that's why we say to people is homosexual attraction, that's not the only thing about you. Um, there's so much to say about this, and I realize this is a topic that we throw out, but we want to, not, we want to throw it out to pot and wool around it because we know it comes with very real feelings and very real experiences. So we could talk all day. Anyone else like to add? So it says it says in this understanding anyone has talked to us. You can come and, and, and talk to us. Feel free. This is your this is your home. We don't know everything, and we are also here to walk together. If we say we are a family, it doesn't mean that we're gonna cast you out. And you can you can disagree with uh, with us, but we we we're gonna listen. We are here to listen and and tell you what uh, the scripture says. And we can, we can pray together, and we can talk about it, and we can uh, we can discuss. It doesn't mean it's not the end like, of, of, of the world. That's why we are all sinners, and we are saved by grace in our in Christ. That is why Jesus is important, as Lauren was uh, was saying. So come and, and, and just talk, and, and and feel free. Do not be do not be afraid and say, oh, they hate me, or they hate us, and, and all of that. No, that's not the, that's not the truth. Actually, if we are saying that, then if Lauren is not telling the truth, or all of us we are not saying we are not saying what the Bible says, then we will be lying to you. That would be horrible. Actually, that is a grievous thing. So come and uh, and talk to us and, and hear what the Bible has to say, as God has revealed Himself and how things are supposed to be to be worked. And we are sinners, and as when it says a result of sin in the broken world that we live in, because we say no to God as we live. We want to be our own kings and queens and, and get to decide and we make a mess of things because God's way always works because he's the one who created what the world and he's the one who gets to tell us who we are and how we are supposed to to identify as well because he's the creator so i cannot create myself i cannot make my, my, myself uh, aside from god so i get to get my identity my identity my image comes from him as it says in, uh, in Genesis, male and female created them in the image of God. So we are made in the image of God, and God is the one who has to take to us who we are and how we are supposed to be and how we are supposed to conduct ourselves. So if we do the exact opposite, it doesn't work. It means we are going against uh, him. And I know, as she says, these are real feelings, these are real things that are happening in our heads and in, in our ways, with all in our hearts. But at the, at the same time, we need to talk about them and actually at the end of the day and listen to what God has to say because it's always there. Mm -hmm. That's funny, that's true. Like, yeah. also, you wouldn't be the first teenager to come and say, I have same sex attraction. Yeah. Like, I promise, I promise. Yeah. And um, I think, like, do you know what the really clever lie of the devil is? You can't tell anyone that we freak out. And then straight away, he takes you out of community. Yeah, goes, yeah. You better deal with this by yourself, and until you've got it right, don't try to think someone's going to come and fix your problems. Clever, hey, now you sit by yourself, isolated, convinced you're the worst in the world. When what God always does is come, come to Him, come to us, present who we are, that's a good, good thing. Cool.
Right, I think just because of time, we could also be, I think, in the panel. This is a hot topic. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're going to rather just move on to, uh, to Jared. Um, and so, Jared, you just got to mention your category and then your question. Yeah. Cool. Um, we have two minutes now. Awesome. Yeah, so the category that I was doing today is just personal struggles that you guys have down to us. I mean, the first question is, how does a Christian deal with pressure? Um, that's like pressure at school, um, in the family, um, and just life in general. How do you actually deal with the pressure that you find yourself in? And I know that teens, <laughs> you guys feel like you under a lot of pressure. And unfortunately, that's the rest of your life. <laughs> pressure just becomes a natural part of your work life, your relationships, um, possibly keeping family members happy, and all of those sort of just worries in life um, can kind of just fall under pressure. Um, and we first actually need to understand that pressure kind of sorts itself into two categories. Um, the unnecessary pressure that is unhelpful and the pressure that is actually very necessary and needs to be dealt with. Um, and the problem is those two shift. <laughs> there is no rule of thumb just what pressures are which in different life stages. Um, but the hope that we have as Christians to ultimately deal with this pressure is that it doesn't rely on us. We actually, we have a God who we can rely on. And even though we have responsibilities in our pressures from school, like doing your homework, from families, being a family member, you still actually ultimately find your strength in God. There's an amazing verse from Isaiah um, that just applies to how, well, when we can feel like we are under pressure and that we can't actually do it, we can remember that we find strength in the Lord. Let me re read Isaiah 14, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount, shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall, shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. So whatever pressure you are under, you can actually find strength in the Lord. You can get through it because you're not doing this by yourself, because you have a God behind you. So that would be the first advice that I've given, just how you deal with pressure as a Christian, rely on God. The second would be to actually pray for wisdom, to see where you can actually relieve pressure. Um, that you might see where there are, is pressure that actually needs to be confronted, but it isn't helpful. Um, so maybe you're an overachiever <laughs> at school and you actually, you work hard, you get your marks, but you, you still just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Maybe that's also a pressure coming from the family, but you actually don't need that at the moment. And that can burn you up. Um, 
So maybe you could just slow down a bit, get some breath. Um, or maybe, yeah, there's unhelpful family pressure. You actually need to talk to your parents openly about how you're feeling and what pressure they have maybe for your life, for school marks, and just be real. So pray. So first we can rely on God. Second, we need to pray for wisdom. And then thirdly, just to realize that God puts these, some of these pressures and responsibilities, or well, actually all of them, in your life for a reason. Um, that God grows you <laughs> through life, through hardships. Um, and so you don't need to worry, actually. You, just, you can rest again in God's power and just know that he's in control. Awesome, Jared. Um, there's something, something else that I was oh, late. <laughs> oh, hi there. Sorry, I was just breaking out my inner Tracy there. <laughs> so, so something else that I, I've just found um, really helpful lately because I'm a person who struggles with anxiety. I think I've shared with that with you before. And anxiety often brings about pressure um, and, and as Jared was saying often I, I fall onto the I, I give myself the unwanted the, the, the pressure that's almost the not necessary pressure was that right the not necessary pressure because I tend to turn it into something that's not something that I found really helpful and it's a little bit left field is I've been noticing how much in the Bible Paul especially in the New Testament letters continually calls out the, the Christians to serve others or to um, think in some ways by the people outside of themselves. Um, I won't go through the passages because of time. But when you, when one of the big things that happens with pressure and anxiety is you become so self-consumed, you just don't know it. You're just not aware of it. So, so making conscious effort to be other person-centered uh, often relieves a lot of pressure and anxiety um, because not not because you because in some ways you're giving yourself more to do in your life. But the big thing that you're doing is, is you're taking yourself out of your own head uh, and, and you're putting it into somebody else's shoes, somebody else's head. So, so listening to your friends, being, being a person who's deliberate about caring what your friends are going through and, and, uh, and trying to help them out can, can force you to be this self-introspective all the time um, and, and, and live outside of your head. Because that, that, that can just be the, sometimes the big thing we find, it's just ourselves. Right, um, and then also we just make a cool society of people if we're continually living for one another. Right, that's the kind of place where I want to live in, um, where people genuinely care. So that's just a two cents. Dad, uh, in this way, because uh, I I hate date texting on um, just oh, you on. Oh, <laughs> just but muffling what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, yeah, we shouldn't put ourselves under unnecessary uh, uh, pressure. Sometimes it is good just to stop and yeah. just say, like, actually, to stop and say, what am I actually doing? Because now we can bring a lot of things, like maybe anxiety. Now we are, we are starting to, to worry about a lot of things, and you're starting to overthink things. It, it is sometimes our default, all of us, to worry ourselves under 
under pressure. I want to achieve this. I want to do this. I want. I, I want to be the best at school. I want to be number one. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it starts affecting your what your health. That's why we have to remember that we are not machines. We are also human beings. We have like uh, limitations. And if it's coming from outside, from from the family. Sometimes I know it's hard to talk to your parents. Have a conversation with them. Not be afraid to express it and say, I, and have that voice. I know it's hard sometimes to, to come in and, and, and tell people, maybe write your mother or your dad, whoever I say, a letter, tell them it's, this is, I, you guys are putting me under a lot of pressure and you're stressing me. And sometimes that's why most people, they end up getting sick and getting uh, depressed. It's one of the, because we, and it's us as well. We put people under under pressure. We pressure them into into things sometimes that they don't wanna do and that they are not interested in. Uh, then to to stand up for yourself gently and to say, you know what, I cannot do this. This I, I don't wanna do this, and it's putting me under pressure. Do not be afraid to talk. Please, please talk, talk. Come and talk to us. Talk to your parents, your friends. Tell them. It's uh, do not be do not be scared. Don't uh, suffer in just in, in, in silence. You are there and you keep on doing things and you're doing things. Eventually you will break because you are, that's not how we are supposed to, to, to operate. So do not be, do not be scared to, to speak up. Yeah. Great, so we're gonna be back to me again. Um, but I think this, for this time, because of aware of time guys, I think we'd be on to our questions now. We're not gonna open it up to the panel. I think we, the goal is to try to get to as many questions and we've already done four. <laughs> I mean, you're really supposed like, to get to Yeah, and, and we also want to have time for you guys at the end. So hopefully my next answer is going to be short. So my, remember my question, my category is like God's leadership and uh, kind of the way God does things. And uh, this person asked a question, why does sex have to be exclusive to marriage? In other words, why did God in his leadership allow sex to be exclusive to marriage? What if you're going to marry them anyway? That was the question. So um, the question, why does sex have to be inclusive to marriage? Well, it's because of sex role in marriage, actually. Uh, sex has the role, here's the big idea here, of making two people one. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, this is verse 16, I'm reading directly. Uh, I've just copied the passage into my notes. He says, well, do you not know that he who is joined, he who is joined, and they mean sexually, uh, to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, which was that same passage we Lauren mentioned earlier from Genesis. Uh, so that you, you've got the two things there, the two becoming one flesh, and he's in the in the illustration, he's saying that basically you shouldn't be sleeping with prostitutes um, because you're becoming one flesh with them. So he's kind of telling you what happens with sex, become one flesh. Um, and this is actually not just something that's mentioned in the Bible. So I did my research. I found a, a couple of scientific papers online. And this is, uh, this is a scientific paper that I found um, that says it best. So I'm actually just going to read it because uh, basically this paper tells you that actually scientifically what happens in our bodies during sexual intercourse is we become one uh, emotionally. So listen to this, this is amazing, blew my mind. Scientifically, 
we know that sex engages us hormonally, neurologically, psychologically. It forms intense bonds mentally, emotionally, and physically, especially when we do it over and over again. How does this happen? Quite simply, any kind of sexual activity that takes place releases chemicals in our brains. For women, it is primarily, primarily the hormone oxytocin. And for men, it is vasopressin. Oxytocin allows a woman to bond to the most significant people in her life. It eases stress, creating feelings of calm, of calm and closeness, which leads to increased trust. It also causes her to want to nurture and protect the one she's bonded to. Vasopressin is very similar to oxytocin, except that it, prim it is primarily released in the brain of men. This hormone causes a man to bond to a woman during intimate contact. Some call it the commitment hormone or monogamy molecule. Some people just create it. <laughs> this hormone generates a desire for, a co for commitment and arouses loyalty. It inspires a protective sense that one's mate Sorry, it inspires a protective sense over one's mate and can create a jealousy tendency. There is a third set of hormones, and this is the one you probably know the most, called endorphins, released during sexual activity, and they affect both genders. Endorphins are what we call happy hormones. It also crystallizes these emotional memories in our minds, taking these encounters and experiences to, so making these encounters and experiences difficult to forget. If you didn't understand anything that was being said there, <laughs> basically what they're saying is that when you have sexual encounters, it's not just like, hey, I'm with someone I love, therefore this makes it more intimate. It, it is chemical reactions that are going in, inside your body, which causes you to unite to that person in a way that nothing else in the world does, okay? So what the Bible is saying, uh, when it says the two shall become one flesh, so, so what we tend to think is we tend to think when this thing gets put on, on your finger on your wedding day, that this is a sign that you have been bonded together. This is just a sign. What really actually bonds you together completely is sexual intercourse. Now, there's other things that bond you together. You have relationships, you have friendships, all of that. But something that bonds you more than just relationally is sex because it physically it actually physically bonds you together now what happens is if you are having sex with multiple people before you get married what you're doing is your body is bonding to them this is nothing about christianity right now this is just actually science you are bonding with them in ways that you you, you can only bond with sex and then you're ripping that bond apart and you're having sex with somebody else this is why, and I was reading more articles about this, one article that I found on WebMD, which if you want to find like scientific stuff, WebMD is a great place to go to. Um, they were saying that people who uh, have multiple partners before they get married actually don't enjoy sex as much as those who waited when they got married because they continually broke it off with different people. And so the emotional baggage that comes from that actually stays with you. Um, which is quite a crazy thing. I didn't know that. That's all science. I'm not even, you know, mentioning the Bible here. Um, so some people might then say, well, what if you just stay with one partner your whole life? Um, that's great. 
that's at least one way of sort of fighting this thing. But the one thing that marriage does is it safeguards you. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that someone can't walk out of you when you get married, but there's a lot that is in place in marriage that safeguards you. The obvious one is that there's laws. Um, there is some laws, but they're not the same as the laws for when you get married. Uh, so there is some laws for people who, who just live together. There are those laws. Um, but there are also people who actually keep you accountable. Have you ever asked the question of why it is that you get married in front of a community of people? It's not just because it's fun and it just looks cool. It is you get married in front of other people because they are to keep you accountable so that so they, that's why you make promises in front of them. You say, I promise. You make those promises in front of those people so that they can go, okay, Paul, I see you got married, Paul and Tini. Because we've been mentioning Paul of the Bible the whole time. I had to express my Paul and <laughs> uh, Like, if, if, if I can say, Paul, you promised that. You know? um, so to the question, yeah, so, so there's just a lot of safeguards. So that's why it's wise. Um, so to the question, what if you know you're going to marry them? Um, let me just say this to you, that most people that I meet, when they first start dating, and then they say, but I know I'm going to marry them. And while that's an amazing thing to say, I can, like I'm 34 years old. Most of the people that I've met who have said that haven't actually ended up getting married to the people. And I can tell you stories of guys who literally weeks before their wedding day, weeks, sometimes days, suddenly the other person they were with broke it off. And it's heartbreaking and it's heart-wrenching. But the truth is we can't tell the future. You know, if you can tell me that you can marry someone, that you're definitely going to marry someone, then you have a superpower, in which case I also want to know what the lot of numbers are um, that are going to come up because you clearly can tell the future. I'm making a joke. You can't. <laughs> um, you can't tell the future. And so the better thing to do is to wait. This is um, one final thing is I mentioned that WebMD site. Um, they, they basically say that the most enjoyable sex actually happens when you get married. So just wait. Let me, uh, let me just quickly read these stats to you. Uh, so there was a study involved 2,035 married participants. Uh, they did an online assessment of marriage. Uh, according to the study, uh, people, waited until people who waited until marriage rated sexual quality 15% higher than people who had premarital sex. Uh, rated relationship stability was 22% higher. Rated satisfaction with their relationships was 20% higher. The benefits were about half as strong for couples who became sexually active later in their relationships, but before marriage. Um, just let me, sorry, I, I don't want to read this whole quote out because I think we'll be here all day. Um, uh, okay, I didn't copy it, but basically one of the things that the guy suggested is that if you, if you, a lot of the people he, he suggested that this was a PhD dude and he, he basically just said that when you wait to have sex until marriage, you actually build a friendship first and you build that kind of relationship, which he thinks is the reason why people prefer sex when they get married. I thought that was good to mention, but I, I didn't put that in the quote. 
just want to add like two things quick, quick, quick things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So um, one thing just to add to the laws that apply to people living together, they actually call it a common law marriage. So technically, when you live together for a long enough time and you say, oh, we don't want to get married, it becomes an actual marriage. I didn't think of that, but that's true. Yeah, so that's just the note. So if you're like, no, but like, we want to just live together. We don't want to get married yet. Technically, if you live together for a long enough time, in the eyes of the law, you are married. Yeah. So whether you wanted to have the wedding and do the whole thing or not, you're married. So guess what? You still ended up in a marriage. So that's one thing. And then another thing is in terms of people who say, but I know I'm going to marry this person, then marry them. Go to court and marry them. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I think the issue is people say, I'm going to marry them, I'm very sure. Marriage is not a wedding and all of that. It's literally going and getting a marriage certificate, which can be done tomorrow. If I wanted to marry Paul tomorrow, I could comfortably, easily, without muss, without stress. Marry them. If you know you're going to, then do it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. The issue is the fact that people say, no, I'm going to marry them. And the issue is people think when it's marriage, they think wedding, they think event, they, they think pomp and circumstance. At the court, you can do it literally. Obviously, we want to do it in front of your pastor, but have your pastor there, get the, what you call it, get the marriage certificate, have a friend, because you have community, you have your pastor, you yeah. have a marriage certificate, marry them. Yeah. And the issue is people are just, they apply too much to what they think marriage is, but it really is. It's committing to each other in front of God and witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Done. So that's me. Sorry. I just wanted to add that. Okay. Uh, so my one of the questions I think we touched on this one in uh, a bit. How should a Christian deal with depression and anxiety? Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, this is such a, a huge uh, topic and with mental health and so many things going on. I'm not an expert on, uh, on this. And I think we should do like an elective specifically on, on this one because mm -hmm. it's, a, it's such a, a broad topic. But I'll just touch on it uh, um, a bit. So first of all, as a Christian, I know depression is real and I know anxiety is real. Um, it is there. Even Jesus touched on it. He talked about it that we shouldn't worry. So if he talked about people not worrying, it means it is real in our hearts and in, in our heads. So one of the things that I will say to you is that please, please do not suffer in silence if you are depressed and if you, are, if you really have a, a, a problem with um, depression and anxiety, please talk to someone, talk to us, their numbers, you can go and look for them on the net and talk to your parents, talk to your friends. Do, please, please, please do not suffer in silence, do not be scared. It is a it is a real thing, and I know sometimes it is a it is a, a disease as well. It is a, it is sometimes a medical thing where you actually need medical attention. Sometimes it can be hormones in your in your body. From what I researched, and so some people it's it's a hormone. So sometimes your hormones change, and you are and, and you suffer from that. And it's like being said and all of it. it is a real thing, and we as a church and we as a family as a community. We really, really take it seriously and we are here for you. If you want to talk and you you know that you are suffering, please come to us. There's Gareth and Jane, come and, uh, and, and, and talk to us. And also, the Bible says they are in terms of anxiety when you are worried, cast your cares unto the Lord. As Gareth was saying, like um, Psalms 55, verse 22, do not be scared to talk to God and pray to Him. 
and tell you this day is always uh, there to listen. Is your is your father? Is your king? Is always ready available? Please uh, pray, pray, pray. And I also encourage you, like us as a as a community, to check up on people and see if they are okay and see if they are if they are doing well. If we're a family, let's not be afraid if we know that someone is suffering and then you keep quiet. Please do not uh, do that. Come and talk to us so that we can uh, we can help each other. There is no stigma. I know there is stigma around that and being a worried person and suffer from anxiety. But please, not here in our in our community. We are brothers and sisters, and we are here to uh, to, to to walk uh, together and to and to help each other. If we are saying we are a redeemed family of servants on a on a mission. Uh, that family counts. We've been redeemed, and we are we are a family. We are here to, to help each other out, and to sharpen each other, and to talk to, uh, to each other, and help each other. Do not be afraid to approach me and say, "Ah, what will you do? What will you know?" If I if I cannot do something, I can refer you to someone else. So please do not be scared. And I know we're going to talk about this in more detail. I think we should talk about it in more detail because I'm not an, an expert on on that. But I think it is, I know it is a real issue and a lot of people they are suffering with the mental health and the pressures and, and the wealth and all those things, all those things, and with COVID as well, and you have to be stuck at home and things are different and, and all of that. It is a real thing and I take it seriously and all of us here as a family take it seriously. Please come to us, do not be scared. Please do not be scared. And I just come and talk to us. You can call the church number. We are here to help you end that as well so much. Yeah. So that's what I have to say. Cool. Uh Lauren, I quickly um just ask I'll I'll take the girls just you your question next question for you thank you as well. Cool. We gave all Lauren the toughest questions. I didn't think so. I was about to say I'm like yeah. Yeah. I just got some fires there. And um, so the next um my my um category again was modern culture and Christian uh, identity. Sorry. Um, and this one is what is what does the Bible say about feminism? So <laughs> feminism, that's um, it's such a cool topic. Um, so definition of feminism is the advocacy of women's rights on the ground of the equality of sexes. And I think the Bible says, yeah, yeah, that's my idea, right? <laughs> the Bible says God created male and female in God's image. Other places in the New Testament when Paul's talking about the church, he's like, there isn't slave or free or male or female or Greek. He's saying we are all one in Christ. So the Bible is all for the idea that sexes are equal in value, in what they contribute, in importance. Like, yeah, of course. And I think it's sometimes hard to distinguish, but um, because of the cultures the Bible is written into. Yeah, so what about you? <laughs> <laughs> it can be hard to distinguish that, but the Bible is fairly revolutionary in how often women are mentioned. Um, particularly say in Jesus' day, women weren't considered a worthwhile um, witness in court. And yet, when you read the gospel accounts, who are the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection? A woman, right? Now, if you cared about your story being believed, you wouldn't write down like, Oh, Mary Magdalene, the woman with all the demons driven out of her was the first person to see Jesus. You'd be like, mm, let me get someone who seems a bit more legitimate. But I was like, no, because how did Jesus engage with women? 
They were part of his community. They traveled with him. They provided for his needs. Um, Jesus never shied away from women. He, he, he touched women who were, who were broken. He spoke to women who were outcast. Jesus engaged with women in such an extraordinary countercultural way. Um, and throughout the Bible, you see women in positions of influence and God using them. Think of Deborah, she was a judge. Think of um, Ruth. Think of all these women who play such pivotal roles. Why? Because women and men created in God's image all contribute to bringing God glory using their gifts and um, being part of the So what do we say about feminism? Yeah. Perhaps what we do say is let's distinguish it between feminism and the feminist movement, which sometimes gets a bit militant. Sometimes the feminist movement says, uh, I am going to advocate for women's rights so hard, and the way I'm going to do that is by pushing down men. But actually, then you don't make an equal playing field. I can't say to Paul, let's both have our gifts um, equally appreciated if I all spend my whole time trashing him. <laughs> do you see how that doesn't actually make me better? Um, the funny thing about a feminist movement, and not all feminists, but I'm saying the most militant side of feminist movements can say, let me make myself better by making you worse. And do you see how all your microaggressions against me are because you are the patriarchy? It doesn't actually help to express that what I bring to the party as a female has value because God created me there. And, have, and my gifting has as much value to the community because um, that's how God expresses it. Um, yeah, I think I feel very strongly about, about this because I think I've often expressed this in a very unhelpful way. So I went to Bible college, or the same college the men and our staff went to, have the same degree, um, have been in full-time paid ministry for a, for a while. And the, the, the thing that I came up against was men expressing leadership in a way that didn't value the gifting women have for the community. Not all of them. But do you know what that does? I mean, they're a bit angry, but I expressed it in such yeah. an unhelpful way. Every chance I got, you guys don't care about this. And do you know what that does? That means that I've disregarded all God's instructions to me just purely as a fellow member of a Christian community. He says to me, as a member of a Christian community, you should make your leader's job easy. Did I do that for my male leaders? Probably not if I constantly was going like, um, that that doesn't help. Um, also, if I'm so busy fighting my rights, I'm not taking time to serve others, which is exactly why God made me female to serve with those unique gifts. Um, so I think what all, all the only thing we want to flag is if our desire to push our as a man or as a woman, if our desire to push our rights um, stops us serving one another and serving God and appreciating the fact that God makes us equal but different and able to do different things, well then like, then the whole thing of being created equal is just turned on each other. Again, just like relationships. God gives us this beautiful design and just embrace it. Whether we're too angry, or also as a female, what if you're too passive, you go, I have a gift, but it's easy to say, oh, thanks. <laughs> or, you know, oh, you talk about this. No, God created you to contribute with your gift for the good of the community. And I think that's the key. So your gender helps nuance what that looks like and in the church we express it in different ways so the bible the way i express my what i bring to the party is that i don't stand up and lead a church because that's not a better job it's just a different job god has given to men and which is the same way we don't expect a dental surgeon to come into a dermatological consult and start consulting on like 
a boil on your skin, you'd be like, no, dude, you, you do dental surgery. Different jobs, equally valuable. So that's why we God gives different roles to men and different roles to women in the church because he designed us uniquely to do them well. So you don't fight for that or you don't embrace a woman because she could do a job just like a man would. Or you don't think that man is so good. He has just like a woman. He listens all the time. You don't embrace him because it is the other sex. You go, both genders, both sexes bring their unique gifting and your person has a personal unique gifting to the I think Emma agrees. She's like, yeah. Yeah, girl. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, I don't know if church is out or not. Someone just quickly check if church is out. It's not, no? Yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to do yours, right? I think Jared, you can do yours. Okay. I've got to learn how to do these things one day, man. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So the next question that we got in just the personal struggles section was what practical advice could you give to someone struggling with sexual temptation? Um, now, this is a big, <laughs> big topic. Um, and it's also not just a topic that teens need to engage with. It is a struggle for life. Um, okay, well, as many things are that we discuss, we're engaging with you as teens, but we know very soon you guys will be grown ups. Um, so these things, all these things actually carry through. It's not just a life stage thing. Um, so I think it'd be good to start from the Bible. So to Timothy, um, chapter 2, verse 22 says this. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. So the first thing that we see here is flee from youthful passions, which obviously um, sexual temptations is a big part of that. Um, and that's kind of the go to thing. First off, when we think of practical advice about sexual temptation, it's how do I get away from um, these temptations? But if you notice, there's also there's another side to this in this verse. It's and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who fall upon the Lord. Um, so there can't just be a running away from something without going somewhere else. And the thing that we actually need to run to is God. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, there's actually greater pleasure found in Him. So it's fleeing from pleasure. You can't say that sexual temptation and just what? Well, sexual sin is not pleasurable. It is. But it is meager in comparison to the pleasure that we find with God. Um, just in one of the articles that I read on this, one guy was saying, we would be fools not to trade crumbs for peace. Just that picture of, I mean, sex is good and it has its role, but it's not the full picture. Um, 
So before I get to the practical impacts, this is just the one thing that we need to acknowledge. Like it's not just fleeing away from sexual temptation; it's running to God and finding our pleasure there. And just another verse to think about, just um, in the way that we just interact with the sin of um, what's sexual sin. Uh, it's Colossians 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, purity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. It's it's a battle that we do face. So having a warm mindset is also very helpful. And just it's putting to death this sin, which is a war that we fight daily with the sin in the world. But we find we find our strength in God. So with that let me get to just three practical things that we can do in seeking to flee from sexual temptation and running to God to find pleasure there. The first thing is be in community with fellow Christians, bringing your sin and your temptation into the light. Because I think, yeah, as people, we do thrive in the darkness. <laughs> and it's because our sin thrives in the darkness. And we feel shame, we feel guilty, and that actually just feeds the sin. So if we don't actually bring it into the light, we can never actually deal with sexual sin properly, with sexual temptation. And we need encouragement as well. Um, it's not easy. Um, so, yeah, you need to actually come into light, walk with people who also, <laughs> everyone struggles. Also, definitely, maybe they struggle with something else, but you need to be in a community with people who are Christians, bringing it into the light, praying together. So, yeah, come together, be in community, bring your sin into the light. Secondly, is find your strength in God. Pray that He might work in you. I'm pretty sure all of us here know uh, it's the Lord's Prayer. And the one line is, lead us not into temptation. And this is the prayer <laughs> that Jesus is like, base all your prayers off of this. This is what you need. So we actually do need to be fervent in our prayer. Just don't just get caught up in other things. Just don't be like diligent in it. Don't just cast it aside, but make it a priority in your prayers. Yeah, so find your strength in God and pray. That you might work. Um, and then thirdly, it's actively just avoid putting yourself in situations that tempt you. So this will be different for everyone. This will also take wisdom that we'll probably have to talk it through some other people, because this might mean that you might be have, have to be careful in just the series or movies that you watch, um, even the books that you read. And just 
putting those thoughts and those temptations before you is not helpful. Um, and so, and it might also be something like taking less time of your day that you spend on your phone or on your laptop because that's temptation for you. So you do have to be active. So to sum it up quickly, just <laughs> being community with fellow Christians, bringing your sin into your life. Then find strength in God, praying about it, and avoid situations that are. And again, if you guys are already struggling with this, you can talk to any of the Christians. All right, guys. Sorry, uh, you've been sleeping for a very long time. Very patient. Um, <laughs> the guys online were busy getting coffee the whole time, <laughs> so they were they were running around. But well done for sitting. I hope you guys have found this quite helpful. We're going to do the same next week, and there's some also some more hectic questions uh, which we're going to try and answer. We didn't get we only did eight questions today, so let's have next week. We try to get two more. We'll figure out a different way of doing things. Um, let me pray for us. Churches out. So, Father, we are so grateful that you are a uh, big and glorious God, that you do have answers to the challenges we face. Uh, and so, Father, I do pray that what we've done today has been glorifying to you, and that uh, that people who have been listening, I just pray that it maybe has scratched some of the itches that people have. I pray this in your name. Yeah. yeah, so if you have, if you write down any questions. You don't have anything as like a follow up to any of the questions. So the guys on Zoom, if you have any questions, just put them, uh, send them directly to. The meeting chat. Yeah, in the, in the chat, but put it, if you, if you want, you can just send it directly to me in the chat and then I'll copy it off. Uh, and uh, yeah. So. You can do that, and then we can maybe add them to next week's question. All right. Thanks, everybody. Cool. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So does she have like Do you want to do you want to chat to Tracy or Lauren? Like, no, maybe yes. ask them. Can I tell you the really funny thing about the stuff that I added to the answer to your question? Oh, just, I'm sorry.